As business owners, entrepreneurs, family men, it's difficult for us to find the time to put together projects like these. Even though it's something we really want to do, unfortunately, taking care of the things we have to take care of comes first. However, because of viewer support from people like you, we're able to continue doing this. Please consider joining our Patreon and supporting the Burn and Return podcast. Listening to Burn and Return, a weekly one hour podcast covering news from the agricultural and turf grass industries. Welcome to another episode of Burn and Return. Boy, we've got a doozy for you today because guess what? When you start reading the news, there ain't a whole lot to be happy about, that's for sure. But you know what? We're going to do our best to go through some headlines, absolutely get everybody freaked out, tweaked out, and squirreled up, and then we're going to bring it back with just a little bit of good news so everybody feels that much better about themselves through the rest of the week, potentially. Potentially will be my caveat of that statement. Alongside me on tonight's show, we have two very important people. We have Mr. Ryan DeMay and Mr. Rayito. Gentlemen, how the hell are y'all doing? Well, you know, I'm doing fine. I, you know, I was a little bit worried about you because uh, for our Thirsty Thursday show this past week, you were sick. And, you know, I'm not a doctor, right? I have no medical training, but I would say that anybody that gets an acute case of genital elephantitis like you did probably ought to go to the animal husbandry clinic over there at UT Knoxville and then go on bed rest for several days after. And I hope that's what you did. I certainly hope so. I, Ray, don't you think so? I think Ray, Ray froze. Ray had enough of it. He was like, <laughs> he's like, listen, Demay, you, 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 you teed me up with a situation I wasn't prepared for here. And he uh, heard husbandry. Yeah. Which, which one, which one did he hear that sent him away? But I don't know what you, the animal husbandry. That's where, that's where you got to go. That's the that's the only clinic that's going to treat the for you anyway. That's going to treat genital elephantitis, the acute kind, of course. I mean, it's certainly not chronic. But what do they what do they what do they prescribe for that? Is there is there injections involved? Am I am I going? I think I'm thinking of What is the what is the uh, I was going to say. Wait, did you say peg you? Drained. That might might be. That's gonna say. That might be. That might be a cure for it. <laughs> we're gonna make this thing get smaller real quick. All right, we're way off. We're way off the line here. We're way off the line. So anyway, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Good. Good. Um, I, I'm sure Ray's doing awesome too. It was just we knocked that intro out of the park. Um. Well, I'll tell you what, let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and jump into this week's headlines. Nothing to fear here. This is just the Yeah, that's right. Nothing to fear here. Just kidding, because we almost had the biggest fertilizer plant explosion in the history of the United States. Uh, for those of you that live under a rock, 
there was a fertilizer uh, uh, a blending and storage facility just outside of Winston-Salem, North Carolina, that caught on fire this week. Uh, and this is a place that stores somewhere around 600 tons of ammonium nitrate. And to put that into perspective, the last biggest explosion we had uh, of a fertilizer plant was down in, uh, in Texas. Uh, I believe that was the West Fertilizer Facility, some, somewhere down there in Texas, maybe near Waco or something. I can't recall. That was a but big boom. That, was a big, that boom. was a big boom. And and there we, we were talking about 40 to 65 tons of ammonium nitrate. Now, they had another 100 tons that luckily was not part of that explosion. But the actual storage area that did explode, I believe was it was uh, hey, it may have been a little bit more, 50 to 80 tons, something like that. And they had a rail car that was off to the side. So. Um, you know, very fortunate, but you know, what was unfortunate is that it still managed to kill 15 people, uh, and injure a huge number more. Now, a miracle of miracles with this here, um, nobody died, there was no explosion, nobody died. Uh, but there is going to be some ramifications that take place because of this, and that will kind of lead into the next one here that I had teed up. and. First things first is we are seeing significant runoff from the fertilizer plant, uh, fire being uh, uh, expelled, and that runoff is rich with nitrates that is making their way to waterways. Now, I've got to say, point this out, and this is one thing I took away from here. Uh, water runoff from the site went into a stormwater pipe that empties into uh, Monocris Creek south of the 800 block of North Point Boulevard. Dead fish were found along the creek from the drain down to where uh, Monarchus Creek meets Mill Creek. Officials also raised concern about Muddy Creek because Mill Creek flows into it. The city's working on putting up water quality notices along the effective creeks. Uh, a little further down here, it says the city believes that additional contamination source may have been raw materials that were left exposed to the rain at a Winston Weaver Company storage facility on Brownsboro Road. The company has until February 18th to get those materials under a roof. Otherwise, it'll be fined up to $500 a day. Um, to avoid further contaminating city creeks, crews have built water retention berm to catch any runoff water from the ongoing fire battle before it reaches storm drains. The water is being collected and will be treated offsite. As of Saturday morning, crews have already captured 400,000 gallons of water from the site. Ryan, <laughs> talk to me here. Uh, it's a, listen, we did avert a crisis, and I'm, I'm glad. Oh, that, gosh. I'm, I'm glad nobody died. Big time. Yeah. Like, seriously, like, this was teed up, ready to go, and be a very, very bad situation. Like, that, the the thing in Texas was, was one thing, right? Because it was kind of out in the middle of nowhere uh, to a certain extent, whereas this is in Winston-Salem proper, right? And there could have been huge ramifications, loss of life, all that kind of stuff. So, fortunately, there was there was nothing like that. But, yeah, now you're seeing all these you know, no pun intended, but downstream effects, right? Where the runoff, the issues that they're having, they had evacuations uh, surrounding this place that, uh, you know, because of the smoke and some of the fumes and things like that, they couldn't have people in and around their homes for, I think it was like four or five days. And so it has been, you know, a, a big thing that's been avoided, but you got to wonder, and I, I, this is what I'd be curious to see is how much gets out about, you know, what caused the fire and, was everything stored, you know, according to best management practices, was everything stored legally where it should be to protect it from fire? And so 
I don't know. I mean, Matt, you kind of clue me in. I mean, what what is a uh, fire inspection like for a fertilizer blending plant? That's got to be a little bit more than like say your average, uh, you know, J.C. Penney's or some shit like that, right? It, it it can be depending upon whether or not you store oxidizers on site, right? Um, it, and what I mean by oxidizers are if it is a raw material that ends in nitrate, aside from calcium nitrate. Uh, it's you, you are immediately put into a high risk category because an oxidizer meets flame, uh, especially if there's fuel involved, um, then we're talking really, really big boom potential here. Oxidizers feed fire and, uh, to the point of creating explosion, right? And so these things become vaporized, these nitrates become vaporized and all hell can potentially break loose really, really, really quickly. Um, so it, it, Ryan, it's not as intense as you would think, but it is definitely there. And what's most important is, uh, you know, where you're storing it, right? It, are you, are you on a concrete surface? You know, is it concrete walls that are around it? You know, just making sure you're not storing, you know, uh, you don't have a stack of pallets, 300 pallets tall, 300 pallets wide, uh, you know, it's surrounding your, you know, 150, 200 tons of ammonium nitrate kind of deal. That's a big no, no, but if it's stored in a concrete bill or a concrete walled building with a metal roof, then, then typically that's what, it, that's the appropriate storage. The question is that you brought up that is a great one is how the hell does this catch on fire? What was in there to catch things on fire? And it could be a whole host of things, right? When when you're talking about uh, uh, manufacturing in this kind of capacity, um, you're dealing with really, really high voltages, right? So, you know, we've got mm -hmm. 460 volt running everywhere, uh, probably high amperage stuff. And, you know, you have a motor fail and, you know, there's no redundancy built in. Shit can hit the fan relatively quickly. So what caught fire and what fueled the fire as it continued to burn, I don't know. And that will be an amazing piece of information that comes out about this. And, and the fact that there was no boom may point to the fact that they did have everything stored correctly. Um, mm. And so, and that, that may be, you know, that, that may be the big saving grace in this whole thing is that this may be the example of like, you know, look, uh, this was a really bad fire, and the potential for this to go boom was really, really bad, and it didn't because they did everything by the book, right? So it'll be it'll be crazy interesting to see. Now, a couple of takes, and this is something I've picked up on, and I think it's important to address, is people saying we're already in the midst of a fertilizer shortage. A fertilizer mm -hmm. plant burns to the ground. You know, is this uh, is this a setup? You know, why why would this head? Did somebody catch it on fire? What the hell's going on here? Now, you you know you know how. Listen, I love a good conspiracy. I love yeah. a good conspiracy. That one didn't get me. No, like I, no I, didn't I mean buy, I didn't bite on that. That's not even store brand tin foil hat shit. I mean, you know, that's that's not even. It's not that good. I don't buy. It's I don't not. buy that. I is probably Jimmy out there having a smoke break out back. You know. He flipped his Winston over onto some pallets or something, and then, oops, sorry about that. Oh, shit, man. That damn thing got away from me real fast. See, y'all got a fire extinguisher? Damn. This thing is big, man. It's hot. Is that a, Some bitch is hot. A, I'm going to the car. Is that an A, B? 
y'all got one of them ABC fire extinguishers? I think it might work. <laughs> no, who's got to pee? Somebody pee on these pallets, man. This thing is, this thing is really starting to rip roar here. Um, so this actually, this uh, uh, facility here actually primarily handled retail um, and a big box store retail. So. This is nothing that was allocated for farm. This is nothing that was, you know, primarily allocated towards, uh, towards lawn care. Pretty much all of this was allocated towards big box store retail. And, uh, and so, you know, is, is this going to ripple its way out into various industries in the green industry? Probably not. Um, uh, if it, it might, you know, create some more supply chain issues in big box stores, but you know, I think everybody's pretty accustomed to that. And, uh, and typically the people that are listening to us aren't shopping at big box stores for fertilizer anyway. So uh, likely Just electric mowers would be noticed unless it is Jacob, man, let me tell you, Ryan, I don't know what kind of scam they were working on in there. But that was one of the craziest <laughs> damn things I had ever seen. Um, I swear to gosh, uh, you know, if you don't know what we're talking about on our on our Discord, there is a uh, uh, a group of folks that are all about uh, what was that guy's name on uh, Wall Street Bets? The guy that won all the, you know that not win, but but earned all the money. Deep fucking value. Remember, remember deep <laughs> fucking value. He was the guy who got in on like GameStop and all that shit like early on. Anyhow. Jacob, one of our loyal listeners, Patreon members, he is the deep fucking value of big box stores. And this guy is his own coupon code. I don't know how he did it, but I, Matt, there's going to be a Wikipedia page about that someday. You know, there, the, great, there the great big box heist of 2022. And you, you know what? Actually, when it comes up a little later, I've got, I've got a perfect tie-in for, uh, for people that choose to participate in those types of things that, uh, that Jacob does as well. Uh, we're going to move on to the next article here, and this is, this is more just awesome, awesome news. Uh, this is out of the New York Times. We have food prices approach record highs, threatening the world's poorest. That's typically how this goes. Uh, the prices have climbed their highest level since 2011, according to a UN index. It could cause social unrest on a widespread scale, one expert said. Uh, food prices have skyrocketed globally because of disruptions in global supply chain, adverse weather, and rising energy prices, increases that are imposing a heavy, heavy burden on poorer people around the world and threatening to stoke social unrest. Uh, the increases have affected items as varied as grains, vegetable oils, butter, pasta, beef, and coffee. Uh, they come as farmers around the globe face an array of challenges, including drought and ice storms that have ruined crops, rising prices for fertilizer and fuel, and pandemic-related labor shortages and supply chain disruptions that make it difficult to get products on the market. Um, uh, so according to an expert here who's a Peterson Institute for International Economics, uh, Maurice Obstfield, he said, uh, it's not much of an exaggeration to say the world was approaching a global food crisis and that slower growth, high unemployment, which doesn't exist in the United States, and stressed budgets from governments that have spent heavily to combat the pandemic had created a perfect storm of adverse circumstances. There's a lot to worry about uh, for social unrest on a widespread scale. Um, even before the pandemic, global food prices had been trending upward uh, because disease wiped out a lot of China's pig herd. In the United States, US, uh, China trade war resulted in Chinese tariffs on American agricultural goods. Uh, and then 
it, it kind of goes on to give more statistics here on inflation and everything else that's possibly going on. And then it also dips into other countries that are uh, really getting screwed over the the situation that we're in right now. Uh, conflicts in Ukraine, who is a major producer of wheat and corn. Uh, we have the situation with Belarus and uh, uh, Latvia that are, or was it Latvia? I can't remember, but they're no longer uh, shipping any potash that's coming potash. from there. Yep. yep. Uh, uh, China has hoarded 50% of the world's grain, which is bizarre. Uh, Africa and the Middle East and Latin America are more dependent on imported food and are struggling. Uh, Russia, Brazil, and Turkey and Argentina have suffered uh, because their uh, currency value has been has been in major decline. Uh, Africa with conflicts, uh, the Congo, Ethiopia, Nigeria, South Sudan. In other words, you know, we're pretty much in a global state of unrest right now when it comes to anything ag or green industry related. You know, really, arguably, the United States is the biggest uh, well, it's not arguably it definitely is the biggest in green industry, but you know, the turf grass sector here is just not even comparable to what goes on in the rest of the world. Well, maybe soccer in Europe, but uh, <laughs> that's, that's a pretty big, that's a pretty big thing there. No, I forgot. Definitely. So, definitely soccer in Europe. I mean, I, that's uh, a, like, you know, can I, can I throw some American shade against. out there? Yeah. Throw some American shade out there. It's, it's oh, yeah. a real sport. Yeah, it's a real sport. I'm just kidding, man. I know it is. I <laughs> listen. If I attempted to play soccer, I'd have a heart attack and died uh, multiple times before the end of the game, and it would take one kick from <laughs> a soccer ball to hit me in the chest. That would probably initiate the the uh, the heart attack. The heart attack, yeah. Running, actually, it would be actually no. I, be the I think that's the way amount of fastball. we can we can solve that uh, the elephantitis issue. I think if we uh, <laughs> hook up an AED to your junk. And press the big green button. I think that'll take care of that. This could be a novel Oops. approach. We should uh, we should talk to your Twitter friends and see what they think about that. You know? <laughs> think of all the trauma so, you'll save that the, the folks in the animal husbandry <laughs> clinic. Anyway, now, uh, so it's interesting it's about this article. Well, maybe I don't know. You see how big that thing is, right? Uh, so are we all going to starve to death ryan is that what they're telling us uh man there's like there's a lot going on i mean there's you know this article really touches the the face of uh a lot of these issues but you know the some of the bigger ones like right now uh there's a there's a, a drought that's going on in uh south america doesn't look to get better here anytime soon and they're getting close Big right time. close ish to harvest right no, they're a couple of months away or so, but yeah, there's. Yeah, what did uh, they? They reduced their soybean yields uh, by what was it like twelve million metric tons or something? I think I think they they. It's been downgraded down. every week every week for the last four weeks straight. Ugh. So like they keep going further and further. So, so that's that'll be interesting, right? And maybe that pulls soybean prices up, and then you know some of that helps with the fertilizer cost because then farmers here can plant more soybeans because the price is going up instead of planting corn. You know, there's a, there's a there's a lot going on. So, um, you know, the other thing with the natural gas. So, you know, it's reading a little bit, trying to understand a little about this situation in Europe and how that's all going to get impacted. And what's what's really interesting is how much of our natural gas we're sending over there, which sounds like a lot, but it's, you know, it's only 10% right now. 
But the fact is, is that we can't ship more than 10%. Like we have, we're sending it over there in ships. There's no pipeline through the Atlantic, right? To get it over to Europe. And so it's not like, hey, 10%, that's not a lot. That's literally all that we can ship out to them right now. So, um, you know, they're making plans for, you know, what if, you know, certain countries get cut off, you know, due to this whole conflict or potential conflict over there. So already a very, you know, tense situation geopolitically militarily all that other stuff but just from an energy standpoint very tenuous right and so i don't know guys like the the cost of natural gas here is through the roof that winter storm last week sent it like 30 percent higher um than where it was the previous week so all that impacts fertilizer right because that is the one ticket that we need to make synthetic nitrogen now hey again matt talk to your twitter friends ray maybe you should you should be introduced to these folks because they think we just need to just abandon all that stuff and go back to the days of uh, George Washington Carver and George Washington, the OG, and just be a completely mm-hmm. agrarian society, you know? Well, agrarian and depopulated by approximately, I want to estimate 75%, uh, 75% of us uh, need to just go away and stop uh being a mouse to feed especially that me. is well, really well or even down. me <laughs> no, or even me i mean I, i'm probably horrible because i'm sorry i couldn't join everybody for power hour last night but guess what one of my friends did for me uh what did you eat made, right? you, made you made you a dinner okay uh, I, w- I was having dinner with a friend and I was finishing a one and a half pound ribeye. There he goes. Ray. <laughs> there he is. He's on that, uh, what, what was that? This, uh, Ray's on that South Beach diet, you know, no carb, he, all protein. No, fat. that's what just, it is. It's you're the tiger. Ray has embraced it and he's, he's just going to eat. That's the buzzer, but hang on, we're gonna go long because we're gonna run short on returns, and uh, and we've got we've got another one we need to cover here, and uh, this is this is kind of Demay's forte here, and I wanted to bring it back up because we had glossed over it a couple weeks. It's raised too. Yes, and this is the Endangered Species Act, and what it means for ags uh, pesticide use. Um, basically, when Zach Randall learned about the EPA's new labels for Endless One and Endless Duo banned use of the herbicides on his northeast Oklahoma farm, which was banking on planting endless soybeans for the spring, he had a lot of words to describe the situation. Not all of them fit for print. That's my kind of guy right there. Uh, he said, <laughs> I'm realizing this is probably the new normal. And, well, it's just one more thing to worry about. It's very stressful for a younger producer to operate when you don't know what they'll take away from you next. So why is this happening? Essentially, for the first time in three decades, the EPA has decided to fully comply with a federal statute called the Endangered Species Act. Reversing decades of practice, the U.S. EPA uh, is taking meaningful action to further the agency's compliance with the ESA, the Endangered Species Act, when evaluating and registering new pesticide AIs. The agency wrote in a news release on January 11th, effective today before the EPA registers any new conventional AIs, the agency will evaluate the potential effects on the AI on federally threatened or endangered listed species and their designated critical habitats. So what is the ESA and uh, 
what does it mean for current and future pesticide registrations? Well, it means that we're going to see a lot of weirdness when it comes to these registrations. Uh, they open, uh, openly noted in its announcements that the agency has never been fully in compliance with the, with the ESA, uh, which became federal law in 1973, just three short years after the EPA itself was founded by Nixon. The ESA was designed to protect endangered and threatened species from extinction. Enforcing it falls into three federal agencies, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services, the National Marine Fisheries, and the USDA. Um, and there's 1,800 species uh, required to ensure that those actions won't jeopardize the safety and health of those species or their habitats. Uh, new label restrictions are likely for most ag pesticides. In order to comply with the ESA, the EPA will conduct a process called biological evaluation for every new pesticide registration. The biological evaluation assesses whether the pesticide and its application parameters are likely to adversely affect any listed species or habitats or not. The bar is very low for finding a likely to adversely affect ruling for a species, the agency has noted in the past. As a result, most of the pesticides that have gone through this process, such as glyphosate, atrazine, and neonicotinoids, are found likely to have adversely affected the majority of listed species. However, this doesn't automatically result in label changes. The, the EPA passes its biological evaluation conclusions to the services, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the National Marine Fishery Services. They examine the species, habitats, and pesticides in question to deliver a biological opinion on whether the registration will cause jeopardy to a listed species or adverse modification, blah, 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 blah. Uh, in a webinar, employees from the EPA and services stress that the work, uh, the, they work hard to find mitigations that will avoid jeopardy designation for a pesticide registration. The goal is to not have a Jeopardy. The goal is to avoid Jeopardy. Um, and so it is a big tool to do that. Uh, to do that is mitigations. That might be minimizing spray drift or runoff. Next up, glyphosate, atrazine, neonicotinides, uh, neonicotinides and more. Um, beyond the list herbicides, only a handful of pesticides, malathion, 1,3-D, uh, metachlor, uh, bromoxanil, and bromatrin have made it through the full process from biological evaluation to completed biological opinions with proposed mitigation measures. Uh, more are coming. The EPA has already conducted biological evaluations on common ag pesticides, including finalized evaluations of glyphosate, atrazine, and simazine. They are now in the hands of the services, which will issue biological opinions on them in the coming months. The EPA has also released a draft biological evaluation of three neonicotinoids, uh, uh, commonly used in row crop treatments, uh, clothanidin, uh, imidacloprid, and thiamethoxam. Uh, the agency expects to finalize those evaluations in the summer 2022, after which they will move on to the services for biological opinions. So here we go, boys. Let's put a metric shitload of bureaucracy between AIs, new AIs, and registration. I understand that we can't go nilly-willy and dumping gallons of imidacloprid on, on trees that are in full bloom. We can't go find beehives and light them up with neonicotinoids. I don't think anybody's in favor of that. However, putting multiple layers of bureaucracy in front of the release of new AIs, is it, is that the best we can do for bringing new technologies onto the marketplace? Is this going to incur new innovation or is this going to inhibit new innovation? I'm curious of y'all's opinion. Uh, well, I think it's going to inhibit it in the sense that you're, you know, you've got a, a law that's basically 50 years old and nobody's followed it. And now we're going to, you know, make up the rules to a certain extent because you can't just go back. I mean, they're going to follow the spirit of the law, but the way it was written in 73 is vastly different than, you know, the regulatory, the R&D climate. I mean, everything has changed, right? So, I think it'll be interesting to see 
what uh, what comes of it with the re-registration of some of these common ag pesticides and what they say. But like for example, you know the two herbicides at the top of the article there. You know, so what this means is that they've looked at these and now the reg the recommendation or the uh, regulation that comes down from US EPA impacts certain critical habitats like they talked about. So for instance, those two particular herbicides, there's 88 counties in Ohio, there's 13 of them now that you cannot use those because they contain those critical habitats. And so that's how they're breaking this down. And that's how, you know, I, I don't know if that's how it's going to go for everything else, you know, but I think there's going to be a lot of, um, uh, a lot of hand wringing and soul searching, Ray, when people are trying to not only make sense of this, but try to figure out what can I use and where can I use it? And, you know, is it just related to ag? Is it related to turf? How does this all go? Okay. Uh, as far as the AIs are concerned, uh, what I've seen happen in the past, and this to me is just wrong, is turf and ornamentals gets thrown under the bus in many cases where True. It, if EPA says, you know, this active ingredient is a problem to egg, then the patent holder, manufacturer, et cetera, what typically happens is they make these backdoor deals that say, will we be allowed to use this in egg if we take it away from turf and ornamentals? I mean, I've seen that time and oh, time again. Oh, it's a bargaining chip. Oh, yeah, it's a bargaining yeah, chip. It's a time, time and time again. But then you do realize that I consider a lot of the active ingredients such that there are not a lot of good substitutes. And, for example, looking at neonicotinoids at this light, uh, that to me is concerning because neonicotinoids were supposed to be the safer and lower impact uh, alternative or substitute for what was used uh, prior to 1990, for example. Mm -hmm. Because they're looking at, and likewise with glyphosate, glyphosate was a safer alternative for a lot of what went on prior to the 1980s. So I this, this is uh, very interesting because for me, my basic question is, what is your proposed alternative? What is your That's proposed alternative? Is this alternative practical? Does this alternative work? I mean, that those are some questions that I feel are very much glossed over. I mean, that was the question that got a very glossed over answer regarding the fate of MSMA. And... Mm -hmm. Their, their rationale was, well, uh, for example, quinclorac and pre-emergence can totally substitute for MSMA. Yes and no. 
However, uh, in many states, quinclorac is regulated as a water pollutant. Hmm. So, whereas MSMA and the arsenic contained from MSMA was not a water pollutant of concern, except in that one instance in Florida. So, I'm not sure that things were necessarily sought through in that case. And given that history, I don't think that things are being sought through very well uh, moving forward when we look at uh, the current roster of active ingredients. Well, and I think that's going to be the telling thing is, you know, they're they're reviewing some common ag pesticides, but ones that are commonly used in turf as well here, you know, clothianidin, mm-hmm. yeah. metacloprid, atrazine, or mm-hmm. not, well, simazine. You know, so simazine and atrazine. Be, atrazine is used too. Yeah. Atrazine is used a lot in the southern a states in Florida. Over the years. <laughs> yeah. And and I, I used to use pounds it, and pounds it, rolled it, of it. simazine DF, Matt. I used to use mm-hmm. pounds and pounds of that stuff uh, back back in the back in my day but uh you know hawaii declared that a water pollutant and that went (laughs) bye-bye well it'll be interesting to see how this plays out because now uh the government has decided that they want more control and more authority over what gets registered where it gets registered even down to the county level uh so you know federal federal government is making decisions at the county level and that's a I don't know. It'll be interesting to watch how all this plays out. Um, gentlemen, this, uh, listen, you know, we were talking about how Jacob is out there running some sort of deal and uh, has got all these people looped into also, you know, figuring out what to do with Lowe's and, you know, buying a hundred thousand ego mowers for 27 cents a piece and whatever <laughs> other gig they've got going on there. And, you know, it, listen, in most people would be nervous about doing that kind of thing, right? Cause you got to use a certain app on a certain time of day and you got to have a certain IP address from a certain country. And you know, it starts to sound a little sketchy, but you know why they're not sketched out by it? It's because we got Jesse Bousquet on the line, you know, yeah. listen <laughs> for, for, for all the people out there that run into some, some criminal defense issues. We got your guy. You need to check out Jesse Bousquet Jr. We had a great time hanging out with him last night. We had some legal issues. We needed to get squared away. A lot of it had to do with whatever's been going on with Lowe's and, and the ego mowers and all this fun stuff. And so, you know, we just we wanted to check it out. Look, it, you know, he he's licensed in two states, Massachusetts and Rhode Island. But you know what? He also handles federally uh, fe- federal cases as well. So if you find yourself in a situation where you cross the state lines and it becomes federal or whatever the case may be, look, we got the guy that will help you out. So there's nothing to worry about, Jacob. There's nothing to worry about anybody participating along with Jacob. Because we have Jesse Bousquet Jr. Um, I thought that I thought that was I thought that was pretty good. That was a, it was a good, it was a good tie, and you know what? You got also you got to also plug the Patriots here, right? So uh, you know, last last night we had a nice uh, it was a four to five hour event on Zoom, just hanging out, chilling. We traded uh, you know some uh, some free consulting. I mean, you get a guy like uh, Jesse Bousquet on the line for four or five hours and boy right the meter's ticking you know 
but we well, know, that was we a ten thousand so dollar. That was a ten thousand dollar event right there. Oh, for sure, absolutely, and, but, you know, and, uh, and worth but, it. But yeah, yes. for me, it was uh, it was worth it because. I had my pound and a half ribeye. <laughs> well, so yeah, see, so Ray, Ray, Ray did not participate. Ray, Ray was, uh, Ray had a previous commitment with, uh, with the steak. But you know, I'll say this is that, uh, you know, we we shared war stories and we shared, you know, uh, ways to help each other. You know, so you know, one of us learned how to deal with the police. You know, in case uh, you know you get stopped or you know anything bad happens to them, and the other person learned to never ever plant. Baron Brug RPR ever again. And I'm not gonna say who I'm not gonna say who's I'm not gonna say who's who. I'm just gonna say that we all learned from each other that night. And with that, it's now time for Sheila and the Burns. Sheila, what do you think of uh, Berenberg uh, regenerative perennial ryegrass? <laughs> oh, 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 oh. That was that, that was her voice of disgust tonight. You could hear it lingering yeah. back there. Speaking of disgusting, uh, U.S. farm income expected to fall as costs for fertilizer and other production expenses climb sharply. We call that hockey stick growth in the startup world. Uh, unfortunately, when it comes to cost hockey sticking, that is a bad gig, to say the least. Um, Iowa and U.S. farmers can expect income from crops and livestock production to tumble with cost spiking and government payments fa- uh, falling. The U.S. Department of Agriculture says in a forecast for 2022, uh, the agency expects U.S. farm income to fall to $113.7 billion, down approximately $10 billion or Eight percent from 2021. Last year's farm income hit the highest level since 2016, with corn and soybean prices closing in on record high uh, set in 2012 and 2013. Uh, farming is a significant economic driver in Iowa, which leads the nation in corn, hog, and egg production, and is second to Illinois in soybean production. Agriculture ripples through the state's economy with ties to equipment manufacturing, insurance, seed renewable fuel production, another category Iowa leads. The state ranks second only to California when it comes to the size of its farm economy. Uh, Lance Lillibridge, president of the Iowa Corn Growers Board, said he believes the U.S. farm income will be the lowest this year than the agri- uh, Agriculture Department predicts in its forecast released Friday. I think incomes will be significantly in the red. Uh, that's not good. The Agriculture Department expects the cost to raise uh, crops and livestock will grow 5.1% to $411.6 billion over the 2021 figure, with the price of fertilizer climbing 12% for livestock feed, uh, up 6.1%. This year's uh, expected hike in expenses comes on top of a 9.4% increase last year, the forecast said. However, However, he said those numbers of 12%, 9%, 11% are absolute bullshit. Fertilizer costs are actually up 300%, and cost of herbicides, pesticides, and other crop protection products are up 100 to 150%. It makes you want to throw up, he said. Uh, he expects his fertilizer cost will be $190,000 more than last year's by the time the season ends. The forecast said soybean growers should expect to get 8.9% more when they sell their crops this year, and corn growers should receive 4.8% more, with both increases primarily due to larger quantities sold. However, a couple things to take note on that when it comes to this, and this is what I've been hearing from the local uh, kind of situation here, and it goes on and talks about, you know, there's. I'll kind of summarize the rest of this article based on some of the things I've heard here locally. Uh, local 
extension agents and ag departments and ag risk departments are encouraging farmers right now to build silos. And the, the premise behind building silos and, uh, and adding dryers to them is for long-term storage of grain that's harvested this year. And the reason why they want to do that is that they want them to sell it on the open spot market to get the absolute maximum dollar for their uh, grain or product that they possibly can versus. And the alternative is um, uh, setting up a, uh, uh, um, uh, a long-term contract with someone, right? So say you go corn, grow corn, you set up a long-term contract with an ethanol plant where, you know, on certain days you're going to deliver X number of tons of corn to that ethanol plant. And, and you get locked in. And typically when you get locked in at that price, you get locked in at a lower price because they're locking in such a large volume of material. However, what ag is, or these ag consultants and economists are saying right now is that no store it and sell it on the spot price, right? So don't sign any long-term contracts. It's just as, as the opportunity comes up to be able to sell it, then sell it there at the absolute most amount of money you possibly can. Here's the caveat to that is that you got to go to the bank. You got to get a loan. You got to build the, the silos. You have to add dryers to the silo for long-term storage capacity. And you don't know when you're going to get a return on that. And the longer you hold on to it, the potential for you to get the type of return you need to get on that is not the potential for it to be there declines pretty significantly. Now, the problem is, is that you are asking the farmer to take on more and more and more risk. Every year a farmer puts uh, plants into the ground, that is a year of risk, right? You're at the risk of weather. You're at the risk of uh, uh, input performance. You, all of it is on the line. It is 100% gamble that you're gambling that the money you spend is going to produce a yield that will give you a return on investment and some profit. Well, now they're saying that's just not enough because we've got all of these additional expenses that are going into the cost for you to be able to plant the fields. Now we need you to build way more infrastructure than you had allotted for. So fuck your cash flow that you had. Go to the bank, get more capital, build the silos for long-term storage and sell it for the top dollar that you possibly can. Be prepared to hold on to it. And uh, and I don't know, we'll shake out, we'll shake the tree, we'll shake the money tree and see where we can get cash to be able to afford these types of things. The whole thing is bizarre. And, you know, like we were talking about in some of the early articles, we, all the pieces are here for just major, major potential problems. Hopefully, and really the only thing we can do at this point is cross our fingers and hope that nothing bad ends up happening because that's a very real possibility that we may get through this unscathed and nothing bad happens and farmers invest in more infrastructure and now they've got long-term stores and, you know, they get it paid off and all that's great. Every, everybody wins, right? It rarely winds up going that way. There's going to be some hiccups and there's going to be some successes and hopefully there's just no major failures. But Case in point, we've got a real, real testy situation in front of us right now. And just don't breathe too heavily on it because I don't want anybody's hot breath to uh, take these embers and turn it into a Winston-Salem fire, uh, uh, fertilizer plant fire. Ray, I know you are typically not the voice of reason on this. Uh, with all of these pieces in, in play, how how do you think the chessboard shakes out? Okay, what I think uh, happens is uh, 
a lot of these growers, they're already stretched to the limit. So you tell a grower that he has to stockpile his crop and try and sell it at, when the price point is high, uh, that's just not going to fly. And uh, what I see literally happening is the further decline of the family farmer. And we're going to go towards a situation where land, money, and power gets further concentrated into fewer and fewer hands like uh end game will be matt can you imagine we have a nitrogen monopoly a potash monopoly and a phosphorus monopoly now let's also have a corn and soy monopoly too while we're at it you know, hot take, I was arguing on Twitter this weekend, and someone highly recommended that we needed to socialize agriculture. Um, and their their point was that it was it is unethical for agriculture to produce a, pro, uh, a profit. Here's the thing, is that socialized agriculture is never going to become a thing, first and foremost, ever. Hopefully not, uh, because that will be the recipe of recipes that lead to massive massive death uh we can look at several points in history that show us exactly what happens when that happens um so exactly. that is off the table but but like you said as it becomes this uh a uh, uh, reshuffling and reagglomeration of 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 farms to these huge corporate enterprises because and why that ends up happening and i want to make this clear why that ends up happening is because the farmer does not have the capital to be able to, to cash flow these things. Cash is king. You have to be able to cash flow these things. And you can only dip into the bank and your credit line so many times without showing significant revenue to be able to support that capital raise that you just did, did through the bank or whatever subsidy you're using to justify that, you know, I've got at least a guarantee of this much return coming before they cut you off. And they're like, no, enough is enough. You've had too many adverse weather conditions. You've, you've filed insurance on 300 acres, three years in a row. It's, this is not working. This is not working. And then what happens is they end up having to sell and they have to liquidate to be able to pay off what they have in owed to the bank right and that's where people mm -hmm. with massive amounts of cash flow can come in and scoop these things up and cash flow it themselves without having to tap into the bank and so it's a no brainer right they'll take the money on the front end to be able to buy it because it's cheap interest and then pay it off over 30 40 years and in the meantime take that money reinvest into it and all, you know it just continues to go until they acquire all this this major land uh, land and, and uh, operating area it is it's incredibly uh, it's just it's weird it is so weird and you know what i i i have i have high hope i have uh high expectations that uh, somehow some way this is going to shake out and be fine and and things will begin to correct itself before it goes absolutely uh, uh, screwed up because at this point, we, the monopolization of 
the green industry in America is a major, major problem. And I feel like people are starting to catch on to it. Speaking of monopolization of the green industry in America, the fertilizer price index index jumps the most since September. Uh, Elizabeth Elkin of Bloomberg reported that North American fertilizer prices rose the most in almost five months this week. The green markets North America fertilizer price index jumped 11%, the most since the week ended of September 10th. India, the world's largest importer of uh, popular nitrogen fertilizer urea, is looking to buy a product later than usual. That will increase competition for nitrogen for the first quarter of 2022. 2022, when the U.S. and Europe are looking to buy, said Alexis Maxwell, an analyst for Bloomberg's Green Markets. And if anybody looks at this chart right here, and you're going to see where uh, American fertilizer prices were jumping, 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 and then we had a sharp dip at the start of the year. And the reason why is that one of the tendered vessels of urea for India was denied. They said, no, we're not going to take it right now. And there was a vessel ready to go. And so what did they do? They dumped it down in NOLA. And when they dumped it, that's when you saw a price dump take place in the market. Well, India comes back and they say, well, we still want it. We just want it a little bit later. And <laughs> we're climbing right back up. It's like, well, we're going to U-turn that bad boy. Uh, I, th- I believe in the stock market world for the uh, William O'Neill traders, that's called an oops reversal. And uh, and that's exactly <laughs> what that has. Um, though prices in the U.S. have dipped off records, they remain high. That's adding cost to farmers and prompting some to curb fertilizer uses, threatening to curb crop yields and raise global food prices that are near a record high. So again, more bad news on top of more bad news on top of more bad news. And now, now we're getting to the point where it's, it's, it, <laughs> Everybody already knows inflation's here, right? But what happens, and, I, and I'm, I'm genuinely curious here, what happens? Oh, my gosh. I, sorry, I got distracted there with uh, our private we'll, chat. We'll share it later. That, we'll share it later. <laughs> we'll share it later. Go on. I did not mean to click on that right there. Um, what I, what I don't know what anybody's prepared for when it comes to inflation is what happens when grocery bills double. I'm not talking about 10% up. I'm not talking about 15%. I'm talking about a $200 grocery bill becoming a $400 grocery bill, or heaven forbid, you've got three kids and a $300 grocery bill becomes a $600, uh, grocery bill. Because, and I, I'm I'm not saying we're 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 going to get there this year, but if every one of these puzzle pieces fall to the bad, that is probably a realistic number. What mm. happens then? I'll tell you what probably is going to happen, Matt. Because do you know what keeps me relatively resilient as far as increasing prices go? The fact that what I typically consume is not considered or is not like highly dependent on commodities because we're talking about corn and soy. Uh, My only interaction with corn and soy is in the form of the fact that those products are animal feed 
But for your average American or Western European, unfortunately, a lot of what they consume is essentially a product or direct product or byproduct of corn and soy. In other words, if something comes in a bag or a box or a bottle, chances are there are a lot of corn and soy ingredients in that thing. And the price of those convenience foods or food products is going to go up. It's going to go up because I know back in the old days, those foods were cheap and convenient. Well, with the cost, with the price of uh, corn and soy going up and the yields going down due to a lack of fertilizer, you're going to have an issue where those items become expensive. And for, for people that are dependent on those convenient convenience items, that is going to hurt a lot. I mean, that's the thing is at what point do here's my question back to that, Matt, is at what point do consumers change their behavior, right? Start rationing meat or start not, you know, not consuming as much meat or consuming, uh, you know, some of these other processed products that, you know, the, the margin has to be even higher because, you know, the uh, the work that it takes to process and make that corn or those soybeans or whatever into some sort of uh, edible uh Shitty uh, gas station food. Schmooze. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe even a, maybe even a Chick Fil A sandwich. You know. Yeah. Well, one more thing in this article, real quick. Let me bring this up because this is the part okay. that absolutely freaking triggered me. Um, is it? Wait, can I ask? Is it the part where Bezos raised Amazon Prime membership and he fucked up the automatic reorder for India? On the on the barge urea, because that pisses me I, off too. And I I know um, it had to do with <laughs> and uh, oh okay. I just had to throw Bezos I think in is, there to see if it would get you triggered. I mean, it's, there's not much difference between Amazon and Nutrien these days. Um, meanwhile, Reuters <laughs> writers Rod Nickel and Polina Devitt reported last week that Nutrien, the world's biggest potash miner, could boost production by up to twenty nine percent in coming years. Depending on any sanctions facing rival producers in Russia and Belarus, the Canadian company's interim CEO told Reuters, prices of granular potash fertilizer are near 10-year highs in the United States and Brazil. But, but, before we decide to ramp up production, we're going to wait and see how foobard the situation in Russia and Belarus becomes. So, we're going to continue to ride this gravy train and choke the shit out of potassium availability unless, unless the conflict starts and then we'll cave and you know what, we'll ramp up production to offset what's going on over there to keep the prices at all time fucking highs. Listen, the fact that Nutrien was allowed to, to conglomerate like this was the first, it should have been the first signal to everybody that something was up, right? And it did not stop there. It has not stopped there. Mosaic has taken another page straight from the playbook. Now we've got Coke Industries and Turk Air Supply joining forces into allied nutrients. This shit continues to happen. And when you have 
three, four, five people that are holding the telephone. Guess who nobody, guess who does not get to hear the message? The common people, us, the turf grass people, the family farmers. Nobody knows what the fuck's going on because they're the ones that are holding the rules of the game. When you're the person that knows the rules of the game, you're guaranteed to always win. How about them apples? So thanks again, Nutrien, for being the absolute assholes that you are. I just genuinely appreciate it. That's career suicide, gentlemen, right there. Well, uh, well, remember my wish. <laughs> I, I, I want Nutrien and Mosaic and company to all be standing, you know, in Congress being grilled by that cranky old man who probably hasn't gotten any in decades. That would be my wish. Well, I know we're not talking about Jeff Bezos because he's uh No, no, we're, we're I'm talking right about here. no no I'm talking about oh no no getting <laughs> grilled about the, the fertilizer wait, monopoly wait, 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 by by wait. Chuck Grassley. Yeah, Wait a second, yeah. I can look this up real quick. Yeah, Chuck yeah, have, have him. Yeah, have him basically like oh, that's be right. over there questioning these guys as to what you know what the intent is of their monopoly and is there any malfeasance and does the government need to step in and take action against this you know, fertilizer commodity monopoly? Well, and I think that's the thing is like, you know, everybody's making a big deal right now. And I, I, I think if the food prices, Matt, get there, this could be a thing of what you're, you know, what you and Ray are talking about, you know, where already there's some saber rattling, you know, in the heartland essentially for these types of hearings to at least occur right and yeah. mm -hmm. you know we've been hearing for months now like what are the, what's the other huge issue out there right now from a global supply chain perspective chips right we need our chips so i don't know how occluding you guys are intel announced 20 billion dollar investment here in ohio to start to start uh building two of eventually 10 they call them they're not plants they're called fabs Right, mm -hmm. and Ohio is going to be the the largest chip manufacturing center in the world. Right when this is all done, so Good. I think the point. Well, but I'm saying though, here's the thing: is you can't do that with the, with the fertilizer market, right? Because it's completely decentralized. So you're going to have to hold these people's feet to the fire. You're going to have to align with different. I mean, you know, in this case of what we know about, you know, the situation in Europe and the situation in Canada, right? It's going to have to be some with our adversaries and some with our allies, right, to get this shit unfucked. And it's not going to happen overnight. But I guarantee goddamn to you, though, that if people start having, like what you're saying, Matt, grocery bills that are, listen, they've already gone up at an alarming rate, right? But what is the ceiling? What is that point? And I don't know. I mean, there's just, you know, it's unfortunate because there's so much other shit going on that's consuming the bandwidth of, you know, real talk on uh, no, 24 hour that, news but yeah, yeah this that's is real the talk thing. this is real talk what is on it news is. right now is absolute garbage now kudos uh, hey look and kick me off youtube for for this but uh you know good good for canada for standing up to the government and saying you know what 
listen, we've been locked down too long. Let us go back to normal life. Yeah, it's a controversial take. I don't give a shit. Sue me. Um, I only I, I take that position because I, I trust AVE. He's Canadian. And if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. Because when I grow up, I want to be a man like he is. Uh, <laughs> on the flip side of this, everything else we see on the news is second rate importance to what is going on right here. Because when they talk about in one of the, th- the earlier articles, they talked about civil unrest. When when the common man, when the average middle class, low class human being, citizen in, in the United States, immigrant in the United States, anybody living in the United States of 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 those classes realizes what is going on and they are being <laughs> they are being taken advantage of and manipulated so people oh man it just uh, anyway i think i think everybody gets where i'm going with this um and and just to just to throw listen we got we got an ammonium nitrate fire going let's let's inject it with potassium permanganate or something and hydrogen peroxide. I don't know. Let's see what's <laughs> going on on cattle inventory contracts in the U.S. and Illinois. Uh, the size of the U.S. cattle herd has declined 2% last year as farmers continue to struggle with feed and profitability issues. All cattle and calves in the United States totaled 91.9 million head as of January 1st, down 1.9 million head from the previous year. The January 31st cattle inventory report included the following estimates. All cows and heifers that have calved totaled 39.5 million head, down 2% from a year ago. Beef cows sold 30.1 million head, down 2%. Milk cows at 9.38 million head declined 1%. In general, the numbers are friendly to the market. Probably one of the most important numbers of the beef cow herd, which is down 1.5 million head. The smallest beef cow inventory since January of 2014. They're taking our beef away. Wait until middle America finds out about this. I'm not going to go through all this. Feel free to well, read this article. Go ahead. Go ahead. You, well, you understand what they're doing, right? They're, they're, they're fucking thin, thinning the herd. They're getting rid of, of cattle because market prices are high. People either aren't buying beef, right? Number one, or it's so goddamn costly to keep these things alive and raise them in maturity. They yeah. can't do it. They can't absorb the cost. So listen, here it is right now, boys. 2022 It's the year of less head. Yep. Less head. And uh, this is where <laughs> I'm, you know, I also get into the uh, nutritional YouTubers, right? And it is entirely political in part of the planned depopulation and subjugation of the world is to get everybody to eat less beef, chicken, and pork. Because. What's the- the, what, what's the, the meat thing? Eat, the, that's the, the thing. Like eaters, some... Yeah, the meat eaters right. are the people that enjoy the best health, the best vitality. But you start feeding people the shit that's intended to be animal feed, like corn products and soy byproducts. What about you... corn dogs? No, Matt. 
I mean, talk about no corn dog. For, the, no corn dog for me the, either, man. The, the thing that it tastes good, but it just compromises your health. Okay, I mean, it's about as much nitrates to, in that corn dog as uh, the muddy creek in Winston Salem, North Carolina. All right. Yeah, because because I've had to come to the realization that, unfortunately, uh <laughs> The actual people that knew what, what they were talking about had it right in that if it tastes good, you probably shouldn't be eating it. What if, now listen, this is maybe a mitigation strategy that they haven't thought of, but what if they took those three creeks in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and turned them into a dick-shaped food on a stick and covered them with a delicious batter? Maybe Let's that might help. This week's returns. If anybody didn't catch that, we had population control. We had they're taking away our meat to poison us, and then and then we were going to turn waterways into phallic objects. This week <laughs> on our returns, we're going to make all of that wonderful news just dissipate because of all this wonderful news. Uh, and listen. This is the most beautiful thing. You know, look, we get up here and we chop a lot. We, you know, we we have some fun things to say. But what what people don't recognize is that uh, Ray and Ryan have like real careers and like and do real positive things for the industry, unlike I do, which is just bitch and moan and cry behind a <laughs> microphone. Uh, here, Ohio Turfgrass uh, uh, President Ryan DeMay has been working. Uh, to announce that it has signed an agreement with Ohio State University to strengthen the future of Ohio's turf grass industry indefinitely. Under the agreement, the OTF will contribute $100,000 over a five-year period into a fund managed by the university. Uh, Ohio State will then match OTF's contribution to the fund. The result will provide students at Ohio State campuses studying turf grass science nearly $10,000 in scholarships on an annual basis perpetually, in addition to the traditional scholarships that OTF provides. The partnership will provide students studying turf grass sciences with even more resources to be successful, OTF President Ryan DeMay said. This program will increase and enhance OTF's annual contributions to the OSU turf grass program. We appreciate Ohio State working with OTF to make this happen. The past fiscal year, OTF contributions to OSU's turf grass program and student scholarships topped more than 60 grand, raising the overall OTF and the Ohio Turf Grass Research Trust have historically contributed donations and scholarships nearly $4 million. Everybody, let's give a round of applause real quick for Ryan DeMay in supporting the continuation and the future of the turf grass industry in Ohio. Sir, I'm honored to do this show with you, and I genuinely fucking mean that. <laughs> I hope you fucking do. All right, no, kidding. I, I, I do. No, I, I feel like I'm in the midst of greatness, okay? I really do. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, Ryan is somebody and he's doing good things i mean and by the way i'm not that great myself where i'm at because you know what i'm considered in the industry here fringe i'm good no i'm considered a godfly (laughs) and fringe yes i'm considered very fringe because i tell people to take their fucking compost and shove it bring in sand <laughs> Listen, right? The world, the world needs people like you. The world 
probably could be all right without people like me. And we definitely need more people <laughs> like Ryan to make. So we, uh, we're, we're at least trending in the appropriate direction here. Um, <clears throat> we'll check out this other return here. Rising fertilizer prices in turf grass. Uh, with contracts being signed for lawn care oh, services Sheila. this summer, homeowners might be prepared. What was that? Sheila. Sheila. Uh, her name's she Kelly. Looks like Sheila. She looks like a nice lady. She looks like a nice she lady. Does. So that, that's a beautiful vest. It's a beautiful it vest. Is. Um, All right. Sorry. Homeowners might be surprised at the price. This is due to a number of factors, but the rising cost of fertilizers key. According to a December 9th Routers article, global, global fertilizer prices have reached record highs this year, in part due to soaring prices for natural gas used to pr- produce them and severe storms in the United States that disrupted production. While not much can be done about rising costs and lawn care services need to cover their costs, here are some turf fertilization points. I took these directly from our University of Nebraska Lincoln publication on fertilizing home lawns. The entire publication is over here. Uh, lawns need to be fertilized to maintain color, density, and vigor. The healthier and more vigorous the lawn is, the better it can withstand stress from heat, drought, traffic, uh, and, uh, and pets, as well as compete against weeds, diseases, and insects. However, while excess fertilizing can produce a dark green lawn, it is likely not the healthiest turf. Fertilizing in, in moderation to maintain moderate growth and good density is effective for lawns. Um, the amount of fertilizer applied annually to a lawn depends on a number of factors, blah, 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 age and quality. And general lawns require about three and a half to four pounds of nitrogen per thousand square feet per year. The publication recommends applying about one pound late in August early September, three-fourths to one pound in late May, early June, and in mid to late October, and one to three-fourths pounds late April. Laying out a full lawn care program for you right here. Uh, Turf-type tall fescue performs better with less nitrogen than Kentucky bluegrass perennial ryegrass. If you have a tall fescue lawn, know that fertilizer rates can be lowered. Uh, and then it talks about sandy soils here. Basically, what 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 is nice about this is you know, coming out of the Columbus Telegram here is they're like, hey, you know, as uh, you're you're getting price increases from your lawn care companies right now, don't panic because they're the ones that are facing a real full fledged panic right now. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> what's funny is that they don't also know that you know it's about to show up in grocery stores too, and and everybody's going to be panicking. But <laughs> um, well, it, maybe not everybody. You you know, the, typically the the hashtag people, real the, talk. Yeah. The people that can afford lawn care services in, in general, you know, aren't aren't worried too much about. And, you know, listen, I know from my experience, typically when I treated lawns, the majority of my customers were uh, of the age they were empty nesters or soon to be empty nesters, you know, and uh, and they, you know they're all right, you know, they you know they, they they figure out a way to make things work. And me as a business owner, I got to figure out ways to make it work too, you know. So sometimes you got to give a little to get a little, and you know you negotiate, and that's all how it works out. But it is nice that if you are a lawn care company owner right now, you can take this article right here and send it out to your lawn customers, or at least this early part of it. Maybe not the part where they provide in detail how to run a lawn care program, but uh, it, at least the part that explains why prices have gone up the way they have. Um, you've got a lot of fuel out there, and hopefully we've given you a lot of fuel to be able to take these out into the world and use it to justify why you need to charge what you need to charge in order to remain profitable. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the that's the biggest thing. I mean, it's you know when I when I read this, it made me think of you know okay, you know how do how do you shop for lawn care services as a consumer in twenty twenty two, right? Like, what is what are the driving forces? And I'll I'll tell you this: like, we had a you know conversation with uh, with Steve Darcy Thursday night, Matt, while you were uh, at at the clinic, Um, Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. And a couple of the things that he said were, you know, he was having some difficulties in pulling people in. 
for a variety of reasons, you know, because of price mainly. And so we talked about, hey, price versus quality and things of that nature. So I think it's interesting and, and important to understand for homeowners, right? If you're, you know, if you're going to watch this and say, okay, hey, what do I need to be looking for? Number one, you're, it's going to be really tough this year to get an apples to apples quote. I mean, it's going to be really tough because people that are unscrupulous and that don't know what they're doing, Ray, are going to try everything that they possibly can to pull out as much you know, of, of the actual product that they can while still trying to show or uh, make it seem like they're delivering the same amount of value. Would you say that to be fair? Ray, you're on mute. Oh, man. There he goes. You're still on mute, right? Uh-oh. Okay. Now you got me. Okay. Is. Here we go. Yep. We got okay. you. We need to be aware, beware of those unscrupulous people that in the name of their bottom line, they start to cut a lot of corners. That is something to be aware of where the ethical lawn service provider just lays it out and says, I cost what I do because I'm not here to screw you over. I'm here to do what is absolutely best for your lawn. And that's the bottom line. And I I think that's a really important point if you're shopping, if you're a consumer and you're shopping for lawn care services this year is that the people that are coming over and actually showing you how they're going to deliver an outcome and price doesn't even ta- you know enter that equation at first, right? It's just talking about, hey, this is the level of quality that I need to have in my lawn, and here, you know, I how tell me how you're going to deliver that. Those are the people that I would be more inclined to trust at least at first, and then you know verify and see what's going on uh, with their programs. But you know, the other thing is, right? You know, it's going to be all these extracurriculars, right? It's going to be, uh, you know, how do we how do we turn that five app program into a four app program? Or, you know, how do we drop nitrogen rates, you know, 20%? And here's the other thing, too, is I believe there's a lot of room for lawn care companies to probably... To, to drop. Relax. Drop nitrogen to, to drop. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because you know me, I'm always, I've always been an advocate for minimal amounts of nitrogen because in reviewing that uh, University of Nebraska article, uh, I, my only bone to pick with it is... They're telling people to throw down nitrogen in summer or right before summer. Are you sure about that? Because my idea would be to get down that you know, two pounds total between fall and right before the onset of dormancy where uh, this article is talking about throwing down a pound of nitrogen in June. And that would be like the first first application I'd cut out. Actually, my nitrogen applications yeah, I, would be fo- would be focused between end of August until the grass is ready to go to sleep. Make that grass uptake all of the nitrogen in the in the fall, so that it has the proverbial full stomach uh, going into winter. Because by the way, last night I did sleep well. <laughs> okay, I did sleep well. <laughs> oh, 
All right. I, I see where you're going. <laughs> Sheila came over after dinner. You know, let's tell you a bedtime story. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, I just think that the, the, uh, that, that's something we can, we can noodle on a little bit more later, but it's, it's definitely something where I, I think consumers need to understand better about how to compare what they're buying. Right. Because as we all know, there's, uh, there's a lot of shit bags out there. There's not as many people that, really want to do a good job or really want to do what's uh the right thing to do so be uh we'll talk more about that so fertilizer prices right. going up spreader settings going down let's check out the mailbag yeah. you've got yeah. mail. Mm-hmm. uh this first one here is a question for ryan and uh ryan i'm going to jump in after you on this because i've been doing my homework um Ohio Earth Food, smash or pass? They're going to be on a podcast next week and seem unique. <laughs> Curious if you have insight. Yeah, so I have used their products before. I know Ted, the owner, great guy. Uh, and, you know, I think a, a lot of the uh, the talk or the marketing materials are about unlocking nutrients, right? And so I invented a freaking tagline for this guy way back when. I said, you know, sweaty Teddy is going to release the stranglehold on your nutrients. So if you don't know Ted Nugent stranglehold, it's fucking great. It's mm-hmm. a great line if you know if you're into classic rock. If you're not, go back and listen to your top 40 shit, all right? Get out of my fucking lawn. But anyway, um you know, it's a, it's a unique spin on stuff and uh you know, they're using JP go ahead and throw up that uh that link. We can we can noodle around here and then I'm sure Matthew and Ray will both have something to say, but you know, they, they blend their own compost, uh, dry it down, slide down there a little bit. Yeah. Keep going. So like their five, four, five, that's sort of their, uh, their base stuff. They've also got a, a three, three, three or three, four, three, something like that. The Revita compost that that's actually their base, I should say, but you know, some good products, nothing wrong with them. Nice people. So, I don't know, Matt, what do you think? All right. So, uh, J-Ping, if you go to that and uh, click click that link and scroll down, um, just, uh, no, 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 go back up and click the uh, Revita 545 uh, lawn, lawn product there. What, and this is one thing I, I want to I wanna bring up is that as far as what this is, compost of poultry manure, a, a little bit of feather meal, a little bit of bone meal, a little sulfate of potash, and a little bit of linderdite or in kelp. Uh, there are, there's a shit ton of these products on the market now, um, more than there used to be. I'd say back in, you know, when he started this company, he might have been the only one that did it. But now this is, this is kind of the, the running trend, right? And if you continue to go down a little bit, uh, uh, where you'll get to the pictures let me ask you this demay um well does why why does my page oh, have hang a picture on. and your yours not have a picture is this actually granulated or is this just chopped it's it's chopped it's not granulated okay, okay. so yeah I, I mean, and it's oh. it's it's dusty i mean it's dusty you know your <sighs> your particle Particle de- or particle uniformity is not great, but like if you're making large scale applications, like if you're just dumping this through a lelly or a big, you know, a big tractor mounted spreader, it is what it is. It's not the end of the world. 
Yeah. So, and I, that's one thing I wanted to, to bring up is that if you think you're going to go dump this into a Lesco spreader and just, you know, it's like spreading a granular fertilizer, it's you're, you probably don't know what you're getting yourself into. I'll tell you what it's like. And it's, it's drier. It's definitely a drier material than, um, what I'm going to compare it to. But if you've ever spread carbon pro G through a spreader, that's what it's like. That's a very good sort of, uh, at least from a particle size and uniformity. Uh, that is, that's about where you're at. Let me send J pink this picture real quick and you can get a better look at this. This is a good one. Here we go. Ray, what do you think? Yeah, that was quick. Yeah, there was a guy. That's a great picture. Pass, pass. Nice hands. Uh, nice, hand. nice hands too. Yeah, hand. nice hands, hands. But then, all all I'm thinking about is the cloud of atomized chicken shit that would come up <laughs> when you try to spread this product. It'll make it. Okay, that, that's you come you come home after a day of spreading this. You're not making love to anybody. I can tell you that. For certain. <laughs> well, and then we run into the typical issue of because this is an organic based product, when and how much of the nitrogen that you're putting down is actually going to become available to the turf grass. Question number yeah. two. You see, mm-hmm. uh, I know you and Matt went off air, but when we had Ollie Pool on, mm-hmm. I think uh, I think we have a convert because I don't think Ollie Pool is going to be dabbling in Propeat or any of those other organic blend fertilizers anymore. Because I mean, th- I, this I, is in the same wheelhouse as uh, who? Who are the boys uh, on the coast? Um, Earthworks. I mean, mm-hmm. this is Earthworks. This is pretty. This is Earthworks before Earthworks was Earthworks, right? So yep, this sure. is this is the OG Earthworks, and then except this, uh, the mar- the margins are a little bit different. That's that. That's it, the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So Earthworks, you're buying a fifty dollar bag of fertilizer here. You're 60. getting it for twenty twenty four fifty. Yeah. So yeah, I uh, I you know. <laughs> but uh, of course, pay, this is not no my first rodeo. The curtain. Yeah, this is not my first rodeo with this genre of fertilizer because I'm familiar with uh, that longtime golf and pro brand uh, sustain. Yeah, yeah sustain another sustain and you know what i despise that product okay i like sustain wow I, no i, I don't have a problem i despise it, it. I, I have sustain. a big problem nature, with it nature's huge problem with it. Cool with it nature all right let's hear it ray get it hey listen if you got hate in your heart brother let it out we were talking about Chappelle before the show it's a great nutrient great from a skit there rate rate and Time of nutrient release. That's my issue. Uh, well, and I could okay. see in a climate like yours where I don't know if it'd be better or worse. I think here you can, I'm not going to say predict it, but you sort of from anecdotal evidence can understand like when you put it down and have 
at least a reasonable idea. Now, here's where it gets you. And I've seen this happen. I've had it happen to me. Mm-hmm. You make an application to this stuff. Like, let's say May. Soil temperatures mm-hmm. are coming up. You think, hey, we're going to get in that zone yeah. where we're right in that, like, 75 to 85, that, you know, that fucking sweet spot for microbial activity. Everything's going to be great, hunky-dory. Well, guess what happens? It starts raining like a motherfucker, right? Mm-hmm. For weeks and weeks and weeks on end, and it gets hot. And boy, hot and wet together when you got stuff like that out there ain't a good thing. Because then no, it it's ain't. not so much disease. It's just it's just you are pushing so surge growth. much growth. Sur- yep. Surge growth, right? Well, so I, it's the I, good with you take the good with the bad. That's that's the way it goes. Mm-hmm. If you're going to use yeah, that product, and I also can see where if somebody has even turf type tall fescue, what? What are they in for if they throw something like this down in the spring and summer turns out to be hot and wet, for example? I mean, isn't that going to be a world of hurt for them? Yeah, in, in, especially in, in southern areas of the southern transition zone and stuff, you could, you could get yourself into trouble if you're not prepared for what can fall from it. Um, let's, let's check out this other mailbag here because this mm-hmm. sounds really complicated. Um, and I'm going to do my best to, to read this correctly. Not sure if this question makes sense, but I was thinking of something similar in my lawn. Assuming my lawn subsoil cannot drain fast enough with sand alone on a section that doesn't have a lot of natural grade. In addition to the sand trench would running a small diameter perforated pipe and geofabric inside the sand void be advisable. I think I've seen this referred to as an intercept drain, but I only have a small amount of trench depth until I'm above grade, especially at the beginning. I'm thinking a shallow sand void with no pipe to start the run in lieu of native soil, then into perforated pipe to move the water versus relying on subsoil. It would it would be a continuous trench of sand with pipe, just not at the beginning. I've even thought about trying to modify a catch basin to make it more shallow to start the drain's run as this section gets standing water on occasion. There is some grade downhill, but not a lot. Thanks in advance. I have okay. It sounded like we're trying to. Get I was a, there was some. I, I took to a pipe. Yeah. Hey, when you're like Telly Coleman, sometimes you can't fit everything in the trench that you'd like to, you know, because of elevations and such. <laughs> you know? I recently commissioned a survey, and uh, let's just say, you know, survey says. <laughs> I think it's the it might be the tallest landmark east of the Mississippi right there uh, in Greater Nashville, the Telly. But anyhow, uh, the so Batman building ain't got shit on Telly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you thought the Pyramid of Memphis was phallic, <laughs> boy howdy! All right, <laughs> so uh, this question. <laughs> God, where I was going next would have for <laughs> sure gotten us kicked off the air. I was gonna. You can say I'm it in the gonna, after. You can say it in the after yeah, show. You can gonna, say it in the I'm after show. Say that in the after show. All right. So listen here. So here's Ray. I'd like I'd like your input on this too. So I think what this guy's saying. This is a lawn maverick too from our uh, from our Discord. Thank you, okay. sir. Mm-hmm. Uh, previous one Thank was you. from hauling our ass who is a i don't know if he's a discord member or not or a, a patron but he's on our uh youtubes uh, a lot so thank you sir for the question uh so lawn maverick it sounds like you got a flat ish site 
don't have a lot of grade and you're trying to drain water off. And so I think what you're talking about with the Sandfield Trench, the intercept drain, it could work. Um, if you don't have enough depth to get the pipe in there, I think it's going to be difficult to get water started in a sand-filled trench and then end up getting it into a pipe as a sand transport. What I would tell you to do is probably just run that all with sand, right, at first and see what you can do there. I think catch mm -hmm. basins could be your friend to where you can change the inverts on the pipe, right? So the pipe that's coming in, lower the pipe that's going out and try to pick up your grade naturally there. If you had to put a pipe in there, absolutely had to my advice to you would be to use a smaller diameter pipe so if you can find it like they make two inch ads perforated pipe okay you can look mm -hmm. into something like that and with it being flat just the sheer volume of water right the hydraulic force of the water will push it through you know as long as you have a little bit of grade going downhill and then the question is is where's the outfall where is it going you know so yeah you're gonna all you're doing is transporting water. You got to take it somewhere where it can actually hit a storm drain and GTFO. So mm -hmm. that would be my my strong inclination is to just use the sand to start the geofabric and everything like that. If you do get into the pipe, yeah, uh, a couple resources I would tell you to check out, uh, and then I'll hang up and listen for Ray's uh, response here too. Uh, two things: check out French Drain Man on YouTube. Fantastic content related to this subject and you can learn a lot and then also uh if you're on the uh dirty deeds discord check out uh, our friend mr ben worthman uh ben started a drainage project that seemed uh very simple at his house a little over 18 months ago and ended up literally could probably write a book now on uh drainage applications Make, in uh, making urban, drains or, yes urban landscapes. I'm not extra. Uh, you're extra. Yes. So anyhow, Ray, if you had a problem like this, flattish site, a little bit of downhill grade, and you had to make a trench to make it go away. And, you know, Telly Coleman was not an impediment to, uh, to said uh, issues. What would you do? What I would probably do is I would make a subsurface drain system with that ADS pipe and lead that out of there and i would not fret about greed because you know in my business you know what i see happening i see grades being misused and you know you know what the misuse is people grade their lawn or their turf areas so that it's a freaking 30 degree angle oh we're draining water bullshit you're making a hill or a mountain where there was none <laughs> previously install damn drain pipes stop being cheap about it and you know think about the use of your site because i see it all the time in the name of moving water people create 30 degree grades matt can you imagine that yes i used to it's dig them it's gonna be hard all the time it's gonna be hard to hard to real mo yeah and, and you know and that's and that's the case where i lose my shit and i'm thinking it is time to bring a bulldozer in here and flatten this son of a bitch out flatten it i want this thing flat <laughs> i'm here to start the gofundme for raise bulldozer campaign you let me know when and where <laughs> caterpillar is the only way to go right I'll, I'll tell you right now I, yeah, I I, I, I like cats. I, I like cat. Freak with it. It's, 
it's a good. No, I like cats too because uh, one of my friends had a cat backhoe, and she let me she let me try it out, and I loved it. I loved it. Okay. Right. So the digger, uh, the digger, Edo. Um, gentlemen, <laughs> let's go ahead and get this uh, wrapped up. Well, real quick before we head out on Thursday, Thursday, we have a pro applicator on Patrick Villancourt, who a uh, personal friend of mine, great guy up in Maine, like on the tip of Maine, managing Just term. The tip? So <laughs> you want to talk about a, a a different whole mindset of everything all above and in between is i actually look forward to this and i believe he's recently married too and all that fun stuff so you know we got a lot of life oh, cool. and love and liberty to all unpack there so anyway we are going to head on over to the after show and let our uh co-producers and uh, all that fun stuff help select the name of this show ray ryan i hope y'all have a beautiful week and we'll see y'all on thursday <laughs>